Last week, as, we're, as we went through this series here in First and Second Kings, Tom showed us the misery, the despair, the evil in the northern kingdom of Israel, the evil in Ahab's kingdom. And now Ahab's daughter, Athaliah, sits on the throne of Judah. The evil of Ahab has infected even Judah. And so, so listen as I read. We're gonna, we, we've, we've focused on the northern kingdom. We're going to look at, at God's faithfulness to the southern kingdom of Judah, the, the descendants of David, even as Athaliah, the evil queen, reigns. Listen to God's word, 2 Kings chapter 11. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to destroy the whole royal family. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram and sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among, among the royal princes who were about to be murdered. She put him and his nurse in a bedroom to hide him from Athaliah. So he was not killed. He remained hidden with his nurse at the temple of the Lord for six years, while Athaliah ruled the land. In the seventh year, Jehoiada sent for the commanders of units of a hundred, the Karaites and the guards, and had them brought to him at the temple of the Lord. He made a covenant with them and put them under oath at the temple of the Lord. Then he showed them the king's son. He commanded them, saying, This is what you are to do. You who are in the three companies that are going on duty on the Sabbath, a third of you guarding the royal palace, a third of the surgate, and a third of the gate behind the guard who take turns guarding the temple. And you who are in the other two companies that normally go off Sabbath duty are all to guard the temple for the king. Station yourselves around the king, each man with his weapon in his hand. Anyone who approaches your ranks must be put to death. Stay close to the king wherever he goes. The commanders of units of a hundred did just as Jehoiada the priest ordered. Each one took his men, those who were going on duty on the Sabbath and those who were going off duty, and came to Jehoiada the priest. Then he gave the commanders the spears and shields that had belonged to King David and that were in the temple of the Lord. The guards, each with his weapon in his hand, stationed themselves around the king, near the altar in the temple, from the south side to the north side of the temple. Jehoiada brought out the king's son and put the crown on him. He presented him with a copy of the covenant and proclaimed him king, they anointed him, and the people clapped their hands and shouted, Long live the king! When Athaliah heard the noise made by the guards and the people, she went to the people at the temple of the Lord. She looked, and there was the king, standing by the pillar as the custom was. The officers and trumpeters were beside the king, and all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. Then Athaliah tore her robes and called out, Treason! Treason! Jehoiada the priest ordered the commanders of units of a hundred who were in charge of the troops, bring her out between the ranks and put to the sword anyone who follows her. For the priest had said, she must not be put to death in the temple of the Lord. So they seized her as she reached the place where the horses enter the palace grounds, and there she was put to death. Jehoiada then made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they would be the Lord's people. He also made a covenant between the king and the people. All the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They smashed the altars and idols to pieces and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, in front of the altars. 
Then Jehoiada the priest posted guards at the temple of the Lord. He took with him the commanders of hundreds, the Karaites, the guards, and all the people of the land, and together they brought the king down from the temple of the Lord and went into the palace, entering by way of the gate of the guards. The king then took his place on the royal throne, and all the people of the land rejoiced. And the city was quiet, because Athaliah had been slain with the sword at the palace. Joash was seven years old when he began to reign. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that you would apply this truth to our hearts, that we would not get lost in these historic details, but that your Spirit would make your Word living and active. Lord, we come in the name of Jesus. Amen. How much is a little girl worth? How much is a little girl worth? That was the powerful question asked, asked this week by Rachel Den Hollander. She was a former gym, gymnast, now married, a mother of three, a lawyer. She was the first of the women to stand and accuse Dr. David Nasser of molesting her. And so as the first to stand at the end of his trial during the sentencing phase, more than 150 girls and women stood to give testimony to the evil that had been perpetrated. And as the last to stand, she asked that question of the judge, of us as a country, how much is a little girl worth? And she said, I, I did this. I stood up to speak the truth. I did it because it was right, no matter the cost. And she knew the personal cost would be great. Her life laid bare to, a, to, to the media, to the world, to the evil man who had harmed her would now be able to read her teenage diaries. How much is a little girl worth? See, Rachel's story is the story of a brave woman willing to stand to protect a child in the face of brutal evil. And her name deserves to be remembered, much like the name of Jehoshaphat. Now, girls, do we have anyone named Jehoshaphat in the room this morning? No, it's, it's not a name that, that we even remember. It's, it's not even a name that's repeated after this chapter in the Bible. But this woman stands to protect a child in the face of great evil and at great cost to herself. So we see in this passage the, the obvious truth that life deserves to be defended, that a child has been threatened. And so what's the, the scene? The king is dead. And so the king's evil mother, Athaliah, no, we don't have any Athaliahs in the room, right? Athaliah is the evil queen who takes control. And, and what does she do? Look at verse 1. She proceeds to destroy the whole royal family. She is going around murdering her own grandsons. This is the face of evil. A woman intent on destroying anyone who would get in her way, even her own flesh and blood. And so Joash, 
the son of the king, his life is threatened until one woman stands to protect this child. Jehosheba, his aunt. She's the sister of the king. She's likely the daughter of the evil queen. She risks everything. And likely she is one who has experienced the the brutality of growing up in this kind of household. If your mother is willing to kill her grandsons, imagine you did not have a happy childhood. And yet this woman stands to do the right thing. What does she do? We're told in verse 2, but Jehoshaphat, the daughter of the king, the sister of, of Ahaziah, she took Joash, her nephew. She took him, she stole him away from among the royal princes because they were about to be murdered, and she put him and his nurse in a bedroom to hide him. So he was not killed. And then for six years, she has to hide and protect this king, this hidden king. But you see in this passage that, it, that the, the threat is not merely that a child has been threatened. The entire kingdom is threatened. Right? Who is Athaliah? Remember, she is the daughter of Ahab. Ahab, the evil king of the north, the one, the, the one who, who you've seen is, is designated the worst human ever. He made an alliance with the king of Judah. He sent his daughter, daughter into the kingdom. If my daughter marries that king's that king son, then we have an alliance. But when the king dies, the only one left is the evil queen mother Athaliah. Now to destroy the kingdom. And that's what she's trying to do. She's wiping out anyone that, that can take the throne. The throne is about to go over to Ahab to the heir of Ahab, the the granddaughter of Omri, the evil kings of the north will have control of the entire kingdom. She's killing the royal princess. And then we are introduced to to another another character, Jehoiada. We're not even told what his job is. He merely shows up speaking to the commanders of of the the guard there in verse 4. But we, we find out later that he is the priest. He is the servant of God, faithfully serving in the kingdom, faithfully serving in the temple, even under an oppressive and evil reign. And so what does he do? He gathers all of the guards that he has control of, the priests. He calls everyone who's off duty, and he calls them on duty. And they will this day anoint the king. And, 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 and think, of, think of what happens here. Look at verse 4. He calls together the commanders of the units. Of, uh, he calls together all these guards. He makes a covenant with them. And then look at the very end of verse 4. Then he showed them the king's son. Imagine this moment. Here are men who's, who likely have lost hope. Athaliah, the daughter of Ahab, reigns as queen. What hope is there for us? We can go faithfully to the temple day by day bringing sacrifices, but is there any hope left for us? And then they see the king's son. The heir to the throne is not dead. There is yet still hope in Judah. And so what do they do? They follow the commands of of the priest. They bring this child, Joash, 
into the temple. They anoint him as the king. Look at verse 12. They bring, they bring out the king's son. They put the crown on him. He's presented with a copy of the covenant. The covenant promises of God. He's presented with a copy of the covenant and proclaimed king. He's anointed. The people clap their hands. They shout, long live the king. The kingdom was threatened, but there now is a new king on the throne. But what's the problem? How old is this boy? He's seven. And now, evil grandmom knows he's here. He is no longer hidden. He is no longer protected. Surely the queen, with her power, seven years of power, dynastic power, coming from the, the, even the, the northern kingdom, surely she will not allow this to happen. And so she enters the, the temple area. She sees the king. She sees the people rejoicing. And what does she do? Look at the end of verse 14. She, she tears her robes in protest, and she cries out, treason! Treason! Now, in a, in a technical sense, I guess she might be right that she's losing control of her kingdom, and so anybody to go against the queen who's on the throne, it would technically be treason. But, but, but don't you see the author of us wants to see how, how foolish this kind of claim is coming from this woman? You're going to dare walk in the Lord's temple? You who... who are on the throne because you killed your grandsons to get there, you're going to complain about this being an unfair taking away of power? I mean, the, the irony drips from these verses as the, as the author of, of First and Second Kings lets us see the foolishness here. Athaliah may have reigned on the throne, but she was never the rightful ruler of the people of God. And so what takes place? The people see the true king, the guards and the soldiers there do what is right. They march her out of the, the temple court so that she will not be put to death there, but she will not survive. Her own cries of treason condemn her to death. The death of the evil queen Athaliah, justice has been served. When Rachel Den Hollander spoke this week, she spoke powerfully of the, of the truth of justice and judgment. She looked at Larry Nasser, the man convicted of abusing her and more than 150 girls, a man who will spend the rest of his life in prison. That's what she was asking for from the judge during the sentencing phase. And she looked at, at Larry Nasser, and she said, in our, in our earlier hearings, Larry, you brought your Bible into the courtroom. You, you pretended. You pretended that you believed this truth. You brought your Bible into the courtroom. You have spoken of praying for forgiveness. And she looked at him, and she said, the Bible you carry speaks of a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt. A powerful 
statement of a woman harmed, but who can speak the truth of judgment. And it's easy, I think, for us as observers, as merely listeners or, or readers of news accounts, as merely readers of Scripture, to point our fingers at, at Larry Nasser, to point our fingers at Athaliah and say, judgment is deserved. And it is. The Bible speaks with clarity. The abuse, the harm of children cannot be tolerated. But the Bible won't let us merely point the finger at others. For that judgment, that wrath, God's eternal terror gets poured out on men like you and men like me. Because as we consider this passage, yes, we see the need for God's justice. A reminder that you and I live in a world because of the great evil that's, that's perpetrated against children. We need someone to stand up and bring justice. And at the, the end of time, we need God to bring his wrath and eternal terror. But in this passage, we see not merely a child threatened, not merely a kingdom threatened, but the very promise of God is threatened. If Joash dies, what happens to God's promise? It's gone. The last descendant of David will die if Athaliah gets her way. The promise of an eternal kingdom given to King David will disappear if this little boy's life is lost. And so that's why, why one commentator, Dale Ralph Davis, commenting on this passage, he calls, he calls Jehoshaphat the righteous aunt. He calls her the woman who saved Christmas. She is the woman who saves the promise of God. She protects the child of promise. See, the very, the very promises of God are under threat here. We've been reminded of it, even through the evil of the, the kings of, of Israel and Judah, reminded of God's faithful promises. God, even in, even in declaring evil, the, the king of Judah who has just died, back in chapter 8, he said this, Nevertheless, Nevertheless, even though he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, nevertheless, for the sake of his servant David, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah. He had promised to maintain a lamp for David and his descendants forever. There is a forever promise here in this chapter, a promise that requires the rescue of the king, the young king. So God is then renewing his covenant with his people. When, when Joash is brought out, what, what takes place? Look at verse 17. The evil queen is put to death, and Jehoiada the priest makes a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they would be the Lord's people. The covenant promises are rescued the promises of God who has entered into, entered into a covenant, a, a promised relationship with His people, will last because of the, the righteous actions of Jehoshaphat in rescuing the infant, in rescuing the young Joash. So there is a covenant that is protected here. And we see then the response that's demanded from the people in verse 18. God is keeping His covenant. And so what does it mean to be the Lord's people? It means to, to no longer worship any other gods. Look at verse 18. 
all the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They smashed the altars and the idols to pieces. They killed Matan, the priest of Baal, in front of the altars. The evil worship taking place under the, the reign of the evil queen has to be destroyed. Idolatry must be destroyed. There is a seriousness required in the response of God's people when they see God keeping His promises. And so in, in one sense, we look at this chapter and we see the righteous actions of Jehoshaphat. Very small actions in one sense. What does she do? She protects a child. But actions that were potentially very costly for her. What will her mother think of this? It will be treason in her mother's eyes. It will mean her, her own life if she is caught. And so a passage like 2 Kings 11 reminds us as followers of Christ of what it means to follow God in the ordinary faithfulness of God. To do the very next thing that's before us. Even if our names don't get written in the story, or if our names, like Jehoshaphat's, are quickly forgotten in the pages of Scripture. You and I are called to do the next ordinary thing. And on, on the day of a congregational meeting, when we reflect on where have we been and where are we going, this is a helpful chapter. You might have thought, this is, this is the passage you wanted to preach at the congregation? This is the, like, let's get up and go, church? We're slaughtering queens just outside the temple courtyard. See, but the call for you and for me is to get serious about, about what's happening in our own lives. Yes, the actions of Jehoshaphat have, have impact on the kingdom and impact on the covenant promises of God, but she's doing the right thing in front of her. And so what does that look like for you and for me? When in the face of, of a world that, that mocks the gospel, that thinks faithfulness to God is old-fashioned and antiquated, it means standing for the truth. It means speaking out against injustice. It means even when it is costly, you're willing to do so. Even when it will inconvenience the plans that you have for your life, even when it will cost you more money than you planned to spend, you will do the right thing. Because you belong to the Lord. You are His. His King is here. And so that's why this promise is a promise of God's faithfulness. The promise of God's rescue. Jehoshaphat is the woman who saved Christmas. Because you and I are reminded that at the birth of Jesus, there was another evil tyrant on the throne. King Herod hears the report from the Magi that a king has been born. Wait, there is another who might take my throne? And so what does he do? He pulls an Athaliah and says, let's start killing children. Let's slaughter them. And what does God do? Warns Joseph in a dream and the child. The king is hidden. King Jesus is hidden from the, the evil clutches of, 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 the, of Herod. And he's rescued. Again, the promises of God just one child away from failing. 
Because when Jesus takes his rightful place as king, when he is publicly unveiled, he begins to announce then a a promise of God's forgiveness. That those who would turn from sin can be forgiven. The treason against God, that idolatry, the worship of, of other things can be forgiven. And how does Jesus bring that forgiveness to us? He is the true and the righteous king who reigns. The king who gives his life for us. See, Joash is the king who was saved. But Jesus Christ is the king who saves. Who gave his life for us. And so you and I as a church have this good news. That the worst of sinners can be forgiven. We heard it in our call to worship, the Apostle Paul saying, I am the worst of sinners, and yet God's grace was shown to me. Your life is a testimony to God's extravagant love. Jehoshaphat is a picture for us of ordinary faithfulness, of a trust in God's love and mercy. What is God calling you today to do? What is the step of faithfulness and obedience that God wants from you today? As a congregation, we're going to celebrate today the 100th birthday of Harry Marshall and the decades of faithfulness that we saw in his ministry. As a man who hiked through the mountains of Peru taking the gospel from village to village. He told me the story once of, of, of the police coming to arrest him at one point, and so he had to go out the other the other side of the house. Because there was another village, another, another town, another city that had to be preached in. And he would continue to go no matter the cost. Is God calling you to extravagant lengths for the sake of the gospel? Maybe today, kids, one of you sitting here is being asked to go to the other side of the world. But maybe adults, God is asking you to go to go with the gospel, to stand and proclaim the truth of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Jehoshaphat is a picture for us of ordinary faith. So is Rachel Den Hollander. See, even as she said that she stood to speak because it was the right thing to do, even as she reminded the, the evil doctor of the judgment of God, this is what she said. She looked at him and said, if you have read the Bible you carry, then you know that the definition of sacrificial love is of God loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. By his grace, I too choose to live this way. She is looking at the man that molested her. You spoke of praying for forgiveness. But Larry, if you have read the Bible, you carry. You know forgiveness does not come from doing good things. As if good things can erase what you have done, it comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done in all its utter depravity and its horror without mitigation without excuse, without acting as if good deeds can erase what you have seen in this courtroom today. The Bible you carry 
speaks of final judgment, where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you, should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. But then hear her very next words. And that is what makes the gospel of Jesus Christ so sweet. This is with the cameras from CNN rolling. These are the cover stories on today's newspapers. A woman who stands and speaks the gospel in the face of unspeakable evil. That is the picture of faithful obedience. Jehoshaphat who stands to believe the promises of God. Jehoshaphat who is used to proclaim the promises of God. Rachel Den Hollander becomes then an example for us of proclaiming the forgiveness that we find in Jesus Christ, the King who is no longer hidden but whose ministry is shown to us, Jesus Christ who died on the cross, Jesus Christ who has been raised from the dead, the church lifts your voices. Long live the King, the King who reigns today in this church, in my life, in this world. Jesus Christ, the King of kings. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would let us feel that crushing weight of our own sin. Lord, for those who have not turned in repentance, turned from sin and turned to Jesus by faith, acknowledging him to be the only one who can save, Lord, I pray that even now, as we reflect upon your grace and mercy, even now as this worship service concludes, that we would see a picture of your love and mercy as even now people turn to you by faith. Lord, make us a church that is bold in proclaiming the gospel, willing to stand and, and teach the truth of what Jesus has done, willing to stand and announce forgiveness to those that have harmed us, willing to stand and announce the grace that has been lavished upon us. Lord, make us bold in our witness for you, faithful in obedience, rejoicing in the grace that is ours through Jesus Christ. Lord, we come praying in Jesus' name. Amen.